Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. Amen, Hallelujah. Well, I imagine more will be coming in as we go along, but we're going to get started here. So um, you can find two places in your Bible while I pray. Uh, The first place is Jeremiah 48, and then we'll be going to Joshua chapter 5. Jeremiah 48 and Joshua 5. My Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this great church. I thank you for the, the, the privilege to minister in this city. So, Lord, as we uh, open the bread of life tonight, Lord, feed us and teach us. Uh, open our eyes and open our ears, Lord God, that we can see and hear what the Spirit's saying to the church, Lord. Help me to learn tonight. Uh, help me to teach And uh, Lord, open your word to us. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen, 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 amen. amen. So, last week, we began to talk about the changes that every church undergoes when it goes through a life cycle. Think of it as as a family. Um, I was born a long time ago. Long time ago, long, long time ago. You, Bob remembers it, yes. Um, and, um, and now, uh, the generation that I was born into is, is getting older, and it's, it's going to be our time. I'm not calling a death threat on myself, although I'm looking forward to the results of that, you know. Um, but now uh, that I've had children, now we've got grandchildren. So a life cycle has happened, and it happens in the church. And uh, we started talking last week about life cycles in the church. A life cycle happens when a new generation is brought into the church, and the older generation that's been there and in control begins to give Uh, responsibility to the new younger saints that are coming in and we know they're going to do things differently than we did and we we talked about that so two things can desperately hinder a new church life cycle when it comes about number one and, and this is so important for us to understand number one the older generation attempts to hold on to the way it was, the way things were, and fights against the new generation. We had our music we loved, and we invented that music, and and that music holds a place in our heart. That music reminds us. Jody and I will hear a a Christian song, and and it takes us back to a specific uh, sanctuary, a specific people, and all, all that kind of stuff. And what uh, mistake that the older generation can make is the way things were becomes the only way it can ever be and will begin to fight against the new things. Now, here's the second thing that can hinder uh, a new life cycle, and that's when the new generation refuses to give the older saints their due respect and allow them to train them to lead the church. You see, when, uh, when I was in my 20s and, and I uh, came into the kingdom, I had never been to church. 
Um, I, I went to church once, went the next Sunday, gave my life to the Lord, and that began my journey. I didn't grow up in church, didn't know anything about it. And I had to allow a generation that was beginning to phase out, train me to uh, understand the things of the Lord, taught me about the Word of God, um, Jesus is Lord, began to teach me all these things. So, number one, the older generation can hang on too long and not accept the changes that is happening. And second, the younger generation doesn't take the time to listen to the older generation. And, and it can just be a, a really bad. Jody and I have actually pastored churches going through that, and it's a terrible thing. And you end up with an empty church. You really, really do. So throughout history, the church has had to change paradigms to reach a changing world. And from time to time... A church will have to hit a reset button. We're, we're coming into a new era and we're going to have to do things different. But here's the balance that we need to strive for. We, we have to change our paradigms, but we never change our message. You see, we can't ever change the message that we preach. If it was true 2,000 years ago, then it's got to be true today, you see. So our nation was first settled by people that sailed over from England, and they were, uh, they were looking for religious freedom to worship God as, as they felt in their heart, as they felt was right for them. And this began a transformational process, a transitional process, uh, of the development of the church that we now see and call the American church. So if we wanted to find the roots of the American church, American Christianity, we, we, would, have to, um, we would have to travel backward through time. Here's what we would do. We would have to go from America back to England and we would find roots of, of the American Christianity. Then from Luther back to the Dark Ages. From the Dark Ages, back to the early church. From the early church, we would go back to Christ, and from Christ, we would go back to the patriarchs. But if we traveled forward through that timeline, we would see transitions from the Holy Spirit to produce the church that we see today, the the. That what we see is the church continuously transformed. Um, every generation, now watch, I, I want you to see this. Um, every generation of the church did church exactly right for them. You see, they, they did it exactly right for their generation. Now, now watch this. Then God brought about the next generation. So, so here's what we're seeing. Moves of the Holy Spirit means that the church must be transitional and never stagnant. The church is a living, breathing, changing thing, you see. Um, so all through the Bible, 
and and this is interesting. All through the Bible, God pictures wine um, as uh, representing um, moves of the Holy Spirit. Wine represents the Holy Spirit himself. Moves of the Holy Spirit, different actions by the Holy Spirit. And, and God always compares wine to the Holy Spirit and moves of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to look at something that God said to the nation of Moab, because here's what God said about Moab. You, you had it good, and then you never did anything else. You settled in your ease, is what God says, and you never changed. Um, as a nation, they had fallen into self-centeredness. Uh, everything was good, and they never wanted to change that. But, but listen as God speaks about wine to the nation of Moab. Listen to uh, Jeremiah 48 and verse number 11. He says, Moab has been at ease since his youth. He has also been undisturbed like wine on its dregs or on its foundation. And he has not been emptied from one vessel to another vessel. We're going to see why he's saying all this. Nor has he gone into exile. Therefore, he retains his flavor and his aroma has not changed. God said, because you stayed right where you are, You've never changed flavor. You've never changed aroma. You have just remained where, where you are. Now, now watch this. Um, and again, wine represents the Holy Spirit and moves of the Holy Spirit in people and churches and, and nations. Wine, in, in the days that uh, God's speaking to Moab, uh, they started out by putting everything into these huge, huge vats. I mean, they were, they were, you'd go swimming in these things, okay? And, and what they would do is uh, there was crushed up uh, grapes and, and stuff in there. And the first stage of clarification, that's what the wine master called making the wines clarification, uh, is they would allow that those juices to set and settle to the bottom of these big vats. But then they would allow those juices to remain on its own refuse, on its, on its own, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a polite way to say that. <laughs> you know, it just said on its own stuff for a long, long time, okay? Now, <laughs> so the juices would develop into wine as it's set on its own sediments. And here's something that you know about yourself. You wouldn't be you if your life hadn't been built on your own stuff. Am I right? And that's what God did with the wine. He, he allowed that wine to process while it's set on its own stuff, you see? So all through history, just like a great wine, 
every move of the Holy Spirit had its own unique flavor that the master creator uh, processed it through. Now watch. He, he would begin in this large vat and it would set on its own sediments until just the right moment. And then it was perfect for that stage. Are you hearing me? It wasn't done yet, but it was perfect for that stage. Then, then oh wait, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. <laughs> so, the master created the perfect wine through the process of clarification. And it stayed on its own foundation until the wine master said, it's perfect. Now watch this. It wasn't a full wine yet. Although for that stage, it's perfect. Every generation of the church at some point says, we have reached perfection in our church. This is perfect. And it was. It was for them, you see. So the master kept the wine in its present situation. Oh, you need to hear this. The master kept the wine on its present situation until it produced the effect in the life of the wine that he desired. Does anybody hear me? Now watch. Here's the thing. Every master winemaker knew this, that as those juices was producing the correct aroma and correct flavor, and at a point it came and he would say, this is now perfect. It wasn't wine yet, but it was perfect at that stage. He knew that if he didn't remove the juices from the vat at that time, if it stayed too long where it was at, are you hearing me? If it stayed too long the way it was, that, listen, if, if a wine in the process of clarification remained where it was for too long, it would become weak and it would become bitter. Have you ever seen a church become weak and become bitter, you see? This is, I think this is so interesting. So, we're seeing that God compares moves of the Holy Spirit in the church to the process of clarifying wine. So, here's what that tells me. God never intends for a church to remain the same flavor as he transitions us to a new generation. We're not supposed to remain the way we were. It was perfect for one generation. But now God moves that church because if he leaves it too long, mm, the, the early church was built on the foundation of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But if God had left the church like that, it would have remained where it was and it would have died out in its perfection for that generation. So 
God moved the church, the early church, from the wine vat of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, he moved it to another vat called persecution. You see? And, and the persecuted saints moved on from there because they had to run for their life, and they began unknowingly the process of the wine, and we would call that evangelism, as they scattered and they ran and the church became what it was. Now, the, um, the wine master, in the process of clarification, would use uh, what they called tippers. Um, they, they, they were experts at tipping these vessels. And, and well, we'll get, we'll get into that. But they would pour it into the next process, into the next vessel. When the wine was tipped, it would stir up some of the foundation that, now watch, watch. When, when the tippers would come, it would take days to tip these things just perfectly because the sediments at the bottom of that vat would get stirred up. So the wine master wanted some of those sediments to be carried into the next vessel. You hear me? You see? So he, he would want some, some of what it was to be carried into the next vessel. That's why, you see, that's why our generation was here. We took what was poured from the last vessel, from the Depression-era saints, and we kept some of what they had, and then the church was poured into our generation. The next generation will keep some of the flavor, the aroma that, that we had, you see? And, and what could happen if, if somebody messed up in the tipping process, then too much of the last vessel would be mixed up into the next vessel. Are, are, are you seeing this? So it would carry some of its foundation, but it would be just enough to retain the good flavor of the wine. And that's why God brought Pastor Brent and Pastor D to this church. See? Now, Pastor D, how many times have you heard the body of Christ at Harvest Christian Fellowship scream because things changed? He'd rather not say. <laughs> it's painful to go through. But... God will bring in new pastors and their tippers. They're going to pour some of what the church was when they got here, and they're going to pour it into a new vessel called by the same name, called the church, you see? 
They're going to keep just the right amount of flavor from the last generation and pour it in with the new generation. So a new pastor always acts as a tipper to pour the church into the next vessel to become what God wants it to be. Hmm. So the next wine of the Spirit in the church will produce from a mixture of the old flavor mixed in with the new flavor. Now watch this. Had the great pouring of persecution not come to the early church, evangelism wouldn't be part of who we are. See? Um, I hear a lot of, uh, I hear a lot of uh, Pentecostals especially. I can talk about my own house. <laughs> A lot of Pentecostals talk down about the Catholic Church. We should never put down the Catholic Church. God poured the church into the Catholic Church because it was the Catholic Church that brought order and systematic theology to the church. We were just scattered until the Catholic Church, you see? And then, then uh, Martin Luther come along. And God poured this into the church. Now think about this. This, this didn't happen until these, these pourings of the Holy Spirit happened. There was no order or leadership. And then God poured the church into Catholicism. And, and even though I disagree so much with what Catholicism says, that's where we got pastors and elders and deacons and all this thing. Uh, and, and here's something that the church did not know. Do you know that at, at a point during, during the, the Catholic church that nobody knew that you were saved by faith alone? Nobody knew that. They thought you were saved by the church, you see? Martin Luther come along and God poured the church into a new vessel. And, and that new vessel added to the church through Christ were saved by grace. We didn't know that. Then John Calvin, God poured into uh, the stability of the cross. John Calvin says, look, when Jesus does it, he does it. He does it all the way. We didn't know that, you see. So God poured it into that movement. Every time there was a movement that the church was poured into. There was great persecutions. There was killing. There was torture. All these things happened. John Wesley started a whole movement, and and it just blew the church away. And and here's what God poured into John Wesley's movement: that a human being was changed by the Holy Spirit. We didn't know that. We did not know that as a church. And, and God poured that, and, and Wesley was persecuted. He ran from England for two reasons. Do you know what those two reasons were? Huh? Persecution from the church, and what? Do you know what the other one was? Honest to God. His wife was so mean, he didn't want to stay in the same country with her. So he became an evangelist. Yeah, true story. True story. <laughs> then... In America, God uh, poured into uh, an outpouring called Azusa Street. 
And the baptism of the Holy Spirit came back into the church all over again, you see? And these were all moves where God took the church like, like a wine and poured it from one vessel into the next vessel. Every generation of the church believed they had reached perfection until God poured the church into the next move of the Holy Spirit. So listen, listen to what God said to Moab. Look at uh, Jeremiah 48, verse number 12. He says, therefore, well, let's back up a little bit. He said, therefore, he retains his flavor and his aromas never changed. It was time to pour into a new vessel. Verse 12, therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send him those who tip vessels and they will tip him over and they will empty his vessels and they will shatter his jars. They won't be able to go back, you see. So each transition of the church has been God's wine of the Holy Spirit poured from one container to the next. So from the foundation of the last move of God was born the new move of God. And all the while, the church retained a small amount of the foundation from the last move of God. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help uh, Harvest as associate pastor to encourage the mature saints not to give up. Don't be sidelined. Don't sit in the corner and say, I'm of no use anymore, you see? And I'm trying to encourage the young saints to interact with the old saints. You, you take, Marge just turned what? 90 years old. Marge was here before this was here. <coughs> Marge was here before Moses was here, I think. <coughs> and if she's listening, yes, I said that, Marge. <laughs> But can you only imagine, and Marge sits there and she's so quiet and, and doesn't say much. Can you imagine what that woman knows spiritually if we would pick her brain? Oh my goodness. In fact, Jeff and I were just basically talking about that, wasn't we, Jeff? Man, oh man, oh man. And I can remember as a young Christian thinking, man, I got this sewed up. I know, I know. I, uh, I knew so much, Bob, I had to start forgetting things, you know? <laughs> My goodness. And then <laughs> I, I met up with this one old saint. I won't go through the whole story, but he was quite famous in his day. And, uh, man, I said something, and I should have kept my mouth shut. <laughs> and... Galen, he said one sentence, and it made me just about that high in the chair. I thought, I don't know anything, you know? My goodness. The young generation needs to be picking the brain of the generation before them. Find out what worked. Find out what didn't work. Yeah. Maybe we wouldn't make so many mistakes yeah. if we would find out in the beginning what never worked, you see? Yeah. And... and and the older saints 
needs to invest into the younger saints so so our generation <coughs> can trust the young church and say, take it and run with it. We'll be here. We'll back you up, they say. So here's an important question. How many seen churches that remained on the last foundation too long and they missed the next move of God? You ever see that? Yeah. They just, now they're just a testimony of what God used to do, you see? And, and I said this, <coughs> um, I said this last week, Jody and I were pastoring a church and um, a lot of the older people, they just, they wouldn't have anything to do with the, with the new ideas and all that kind of stuff, even though that's what the elders hired us to do. And somebody made a phone call to somebody and said, hey, I'm going over at this church. It's just like our old church, man. They play the old songs. We say the old prayers. We dress the old way. It's really comfortable over here. So the next family went. We we saw a large exodus of older people. And um, uh, I think one of the biggest mistakes was the young congregation didn't go after them. Yeah. Go after them. Bring them back. We need you. You see? They didn't feel needed. On the other hand, the older people wanted to keep control and not let anything change. And I said this last week, what they never realized, Jeff, that they were doing, they thought they was going to a, a, a church fit for them. They just moving to a nursing home. They just waiting to die. That's what they were doing, you see? So, um, here, here's the truth. Uh, during clarification, uh, when wine is left too long on the old foundation, it ruins the wine and it makes it weak and it makes it bitter. So as wine comes to fruition, it's poured from, this is cool, it's poured from larger containers into the next container and then they'll split it up into several containers. Watch. <coughs> because... From the original foundation, the wine master is going to take this and turn it into a particular flavor and aroma. But this, from that foundation, he's going to change it a little bit and make this one a different flavor and aroma. And hopefully, those two vats of wine won't get in an argument of which one is doing it right. Yeah, you hear me? <laughs> so, <clears throat> after it sets on that foundation for a while, they would pour it into other vessels until finally the, the wine master says, it is ultimately good. Now put it into individual vessels and give it to the public. Uh, put it into individual vessels and send it out to the people. You see? Mm. Uh, we can actually become poisoned in our own spiritual walk if we refuse God's next pouring into our lives. 
Hmm. Look at, um, I know I told you uh, Joshua 5, but um, look at Deuteronomy chapter number 1. This is something that God said to me a long, long time ago. And I highlighted it in my Bible. And since then, about a dozen times or more, God has sent me back to this passage. Um, Moses took the people out of Egypt. And um, then they stayed on Mount Horeb for a long time. And they thought they were free. You see? They thought they, thought they had made it. But uh, God said to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter number 1, um, verse number 6, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You have stayed long enough on this mountain. You see? The, the older saints, the mature church, <coughs> every once in a while needs to hear God say to us, well, you stayed on this mountain long enough. It's time to move on. And then later he said, see, I've, I've set the land before you, you say. Um, here's the problem. God will say, you stayed on this level long enough. The problem is, is I really love my level. Huh? I've, the first time God said to this, I said to him, Lord, it took so long for me to get to this level that I'm at. It took so long, and I love it. Because He said, why do you love it? I said, because I don't have to work anymore to stay here. It's true. It's true. Huh? I can coast at the level I'm at and not pray and not study and do nothing, and nobody will ever know it because I'm so good at this level. Oh. Huh? I'm telling you, I've done it. Look at me with that tone of voice. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Huh? Huh. I've, done, I've been at this level so long, I can fake it and I can make it, and you'll never, ever know it. You know, hmm. It's hard. It's work to go to the next level. Man. And for me, and in another year, I hit 70. Boy, you're old, Bob. <laughs> it's at almost 70 years old. God wants me to move levels. You got any idea how much work it was to get to this one? You know? My goodness. Wow. Hmm. Go to uh, Joshua chapter number five real quick here. I need to start winding this down. Joshua chapter number five. So Moses leads the slaves out of bondage. And, and then 
led them to the edge of the promises of God, right to the edge of the promised land. Um, and here's the funny thing, it's so wild, the whole way to the edge of the promised land, the people kept voting to get a new leader to take them back to Egypt. Take them back. You know, we had it easy over there in slavery. Hmm. What if the mountaintop we thought we were standing on in our walk or in our church was only a foothill of where God wants to take us? Huh? Man. Man. Hmm. Man, we hate change, don't we? You know, you know what the revenge of my generation will be on the new generation, Pastor D? When they get my age, they're going to have to give it away to the next group. You know? So, after leading them out of Egypt and right up to the edge of the promised land, right across the Jordan. They stayed there for 40 years. And Moses died with that generation. They got a new leader. They got a new tipper. His name was Joshua. And Joshua gave them a new pouring out. But watch this, watch. Now they had to make a transition to be where God wanted that generation to be. Watch what happened when they crossed the Jordan. Look at Joshua 5, verse number 12. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. Now watch. Here's what God was showing them and here's what he's showing us. I want you to hear this. They had to give up what they were used to so they could begin to reap a harvest they had never seen. Hmm? They had to give up what they had become accustomed to. They didn't even have to work for manna anymore. They just had to go outside the tent and it was right there. But they had to give up everything they were used to so they could get what they had never seen before. What if God would give Harvest Christian Fellowship things that we have never seen before? Think about that. Pastor just fell off the couch, didn't he? (laughs) What, What if... You know, everybody knows in this church it's transition time. The older generation, we've come to that age. And there's a new generation coming in right now. What if God is lining us up to see things that we never saw before? Man. I mean, my generation did. I could tell you stories of what happened in the early days of my generation. I mean, Oral Roberts and the things that happened. 
Billy Graham as a young man in Pasadena, California, at, at that uh, auditorium that, that we were at, the arena that we were at, a hundred, he had a meeting and 110,000 people showed up. Man, we saw things nobody had ever seen before. What if God's lining us up again? Hmm. God wants to give us Cambridge, Ohio. He, he does. He, he wants us to meet a new generation of people. He wants us to reap a harvest that we've never seen before. You see? And, and here's what I hear, and I'm so glad. If you have not seen um, the movie Jesus Revolution... You've got to see it. I mean, you've got it. It's an eye-opener, man. Um, here was something they kept on saying. And, and I said last week, we, we were hippies, weren't we, Jeff? That, that was, yeah. Jody's got a picture of me with long, freaky hair and bell-bottoms and Mickey Mouse T-shirt and all that kind of, yeah. Yeah, Mickey Mouse T-shirt, yeah, all that stuff. And... Here's what people said. It reminded me of that because it was in the movie, Jesus Revolution. They said, here's what the church said. Hippies can't be saved. That's what they said. They didn't believe they could be saved. Here I is. <laughs> yep. Here I is. <laughs> and, and, and listen, listen. I think I might have said Jody, don't correct me. Just don't look at me, okay? Don't even look at me right now. <laughs> I think I might have said, this generation coming up, you can't save them. Come on, huh? It's true. Yeah. Not, no, we can't. Not the way I was. Come on. You hear me? We're not going to reach them the way I was. That wine has been tipped and gone. You see? So, here's my question tonight. How will we meet this offer from God? When God sent Joshua to take the city of Jericho, he told the people, just shut your trap. Don't say anything. Because he knew that they were going to say how stupid it was. Nobody can defeat Jericho, you see? So, let me ask would you really complain if God offered to save a whole generation of new people in Cambridge, Ohio? Would we really complain about that? Would, would we really complain if we had to add chairs? I, I had to study Chuck Smith's Jesus Revolution in college. And they went from about 35 people to 35,000 people. Hmm? Would we really complain if what God's lining us up for is so many people that the idea of filling this place is just preposterous? God's offer of a city that would be one for Christ. So what is God asking of you 
of light. God moves us from our present foundation that we've been setting on and attempts to pour us into a new spiritual place. How are we handling that? God is offering us all an absolutely fresh pouring of the Holy Spirit. And he's offering to pour us into a new move of the Holy Spirit. Will we follow him and become a God chaser? Or complain because God is asking too much of us? So God has begun already. It's here. He's already begun to tip Harvest Christian Fellowship. Will we sit down and zone out and be offended because God wants to tip us into a new generation? Or will we say, here I am. You can use me. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will make us new wineskins, that you will make us flexible enough to be changed and expanded and twisted and turned in directions we never thought possible. Lord, we desire to see things that we have never seen in our generation. And Lord, help the younger generation coming up to tap into the wisdom and the faith and the history that we have as the generation that has been here. Lord, help us to help the next generation and help the next generation to listen to us as we help and we train. And Lord God, together, transform this great church into the next move of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And amen and amen and amen.